Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am Erin Monez, and I am not here with my co-host today. Um, Blake Dean is not able to join us. He is relocating via the coronavirus, but I am not on my own, friends, because we have a special guest here, and I am so excited to get to introduce him to you. We are recording from Plumwood Cottage at the beautiful campus at Barry College, and Jonathan Huggins, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Huggins, um, is our first official guest on the podcast. We want to start doing a series where we talk to local heroes and friends that are doing gender theology right here where we live and who we have learned from and been influenced by. Um, but just like every episode, we'd like to start with watch, read, or listen. So, John, what are you watching, reading, or listening to? Well, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm excited about this. Um, excited about this uh, new venture, this podcast. This is exciting, and, and no two better people, I think, to be hosting and well, having these discussions than you and Blake. Um, so, thanks for having me on. Well, we're in these um, this weird quarantine time, just about one week down, uh, one week out of who knows how many. Yeah. And so far, for the family... Our, our newly uh, homeschooled family. Um, Stranger Things is helping us oh, get yeah. through. Um, now, my wife and I had already watched it through all three seasons by ourselves. Then we watched it with our oldest daughter. Now we're uh, inducting our middle daughter, who's 13, into the Stranger Things uh, family <clears throat> or guild. And that's been kind of fun. That gives us something to do uh, at night together after our little youngest goes to bed and it was also exciting because they were filming on campus oh, yes. just last week, and we were able to see some of that from a distance with our binoculars. <laughs> and um, we saw one of the characters, and of course, my middle daughter's like, I don't know who this is, but it seems exciting, so we're letting her watch that. Um, other than that, I've been reading several things at the same time, and all the more in this situation. I'm reading through... Uh, C.S. Lewis's Paralandra, oh, yeah. uh, for fun. I've read through that Space Trilogy before, and I just decided to pick up one of the volumes again. I've been reading through um, uh, Augustine's uh, Catechism, also called the Enchiridion on Faith, Hope, and Love. Mm. I've almost finished that. It's fun. Um, our office has been reading Wes Hill's uh, book on the Lord's Prayer. That's right. So I've been uh, wrapping that up. It's so much fun. It's such a good book. And this uh, little book... This just come out, hot off the press, by Nijay Gupta, who's a New Testament scholar, studied at uh, Durham University, and it's it's basically a beginner's guide to the New Testament. I'm seeing if I might like to use it in my class. It introduces students to most of the uh, scholarly issues that are debated within New Testament circles, and uh, right now I'm slated to teach a New Testament class in the fall. And I may use that along with a, another textbook. Well, you rattled off that author's name like a pro. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> just so clean. Gupta, I think. <laughs> that was so great. Yeah, I feel like in this category, there's no limit to the things that we were watching, reading, or yes. listening to. Um, yep. I will say that uh, in particular, I've got a stack of books that I'm trying to chip away at. And one that I was actually working on just yesterday is... Jim Wallace's America's Original Sin, which oh, had wow. been recommended to me by by several people. And it's, it's I haven't gotten through it all yet, but so far it's been interesting, kind of in that heartbreaking way. Um, mm. I think he he is uh, doing a very sort of uh, careful assessment of, of 
the racist history of America, which is such a touchy subject and such, um, you know, one, such an important topic as well. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm interested. I love that I get actually some time (laughs) to just read. Yeah. Right. Right now. So I just brought home a stack of Aquinas and some other stuff. I was like, I want to work through these during this as much as possible. And Aquinas is great because Aquinas is not light reading, even if you're just doing like a paragraph or two. No, that's right. Now's the time. I just finished listening to, uh, also, uh, G.K. Chesterton's book on Thomas Aquinas, oh, yeah. which is so good. Um, I, I couldn't recommend that highly enough. It's a, just a delightful, enjoyable introduction to um, Aquinas by someone who writes very different uh, than Aquinas, but in a way that'll really make you want to go and read oh, wow. The Angelic See, Doctor. I've read his book on St. Francis. Yeah. But I haven't done the Aquinas one, so yeah. I'll have to check that out. I do love uh, a good Chesterton read. Yeah, he writes so differently. Mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff. I didn't know he'd done that on Aquinas. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump right in, John. Mm-hmm. So for our, our listeners who, who don't know you, um, you are the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Huggins, chaplain at Barry College. Um, it's funny, guys, because I, I use his titles. They are well-earned, but he is, I mean, he could be the Reverend Dr. Chaplain Father uh you know, Huggins, uh, and so capacities. But if you are here at Barry College, you either know him as Dr. Huggins or John, because yeah. he's one of the most accessible people you'll, you'll ever meet, which, which is wonderful. But he does have many wonderful credentials. And so, um, John, I was wondering if you could just give us a little overview of even just your, your occupational um, pursuits in, in ministry and sort of where you went to yeah. school and what you studied. Yeah. So my friends call me John. So that that'll work if you want to be my friend. You can call me that. Um, and it's a you know weird, wild sort of um, winding tale. Um, I, mean, I was born and raised in a Christian home uh, in a Southern Baptist church. It gave me a lot of great gifts. Uh, one was a love for the Bible, uh, an interest in missions and evangelism, and uh, taught me to take God seriously. Mm. Um, in college, I started as a music major and eventually became a, a, moved into the religion department. And I began to move in the direction of the Reformed churches, um, at the time more like Reformed Baptist, since I had been born and raised Baptist and I was mm-hmm. uh, committed to believer's baptism, at least at that point. Uh, but then, um, as things moved along, um, I got married to Lisa after college, and um, I began grad school at Wheaton, and there came under the influence of some beloved Presbyterians, and I began to hear their perspective mm. on covenant theology and paedo-baptism, infant baptism, and the like, and came to at least appreciate that position <clears throat> and to appreciate the Presbyterian form of church government. I was drawn to that. I was really drawn just to the delightful souls that these people were that I was being influenced by there. And um, so eventually made our way into the PCA, and then I was ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America and um, served two different churches. After Wheaton, I uh, completed another master's degree from Reformed Theological Seminary, and so was grounded more uh, in systematic theology or in doctrine, whereas previous prior, prior to that at Wheaton it had been more about exegesis and biblical theology. At RTS and PCA it was more about systematic theology and, you know, a kind of a, a nearly perfect and, you know, 
you might say if you're in that world, coherent system of doctrine. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I was also a part of a. You want me to go ahead and start saying some things about gender? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so okay. obviously right I was it, yeah. I was in churches that where men could only serve in the ordained roles. Um, women, of course, were important and influential to me and to everyone else along you know along the way. Uh, but the ordained roles were um, for men only in those churches. But it was actually interesting in those places <clears throat> where I was began to be more kind of sympathetic to women being able to exercise a, a more full range of leadership roles uh, within the church. And I began to understand, even when I was um, in the PCA church, I remember appreciating the emphasis on a fatherly type role for the elders and pastors in the church. But I also began to sense, well, we also need a motherly type role Mm. in the church that is recognized, that's named in some way. How's that going to happen? You know, or how can we make a way for that? And at the time I was willing to uh, kind of accept that system and just look for other ways to uh, empower women to operate in a full range of Holy Spirit gifts, you know, and it just so happened I had, I had been a teacher and a church leader and more often than not, the more mature <laughs> students that I was working with, our people in the congregation tended to be women. They were the, the students who were excelling the most in Bible classes that I had taught. I taught for a season in a Christian school called Heritage Academy. And I mean, I had great male students as well, but, um, it certainly often looked that the women were the ones taking the scholarship seriously mm. and the holiness seriously and wanting to be influential seriously. So that at least created a kind of subjective apologetic, you know, for women being in these roles, you know. Um, but as best as I could understand and interpret the text at the time, I thought that was probably not a direction we could go. You mm-hmm. know, I was on the complementarian side of the complementarian egalitarian debate but i always sensed there was something wrong with that that wording you know because it seems that both words contain something true and important to say that men and women were equal to me that seemed like a christian non-negotiable the christians ought to be able to affirm that no matter what you know adam and eve are there side by side Uh, in the text. Uh, Men and women share equally in salvation and in redemption and in the gifts of the Spirit, it seemed Mm. to me. And so I thought, certainly Christians should be saying Christians, uh, men and women are equal, Um, that all men and women are equal. And then the the notion of complementarian, just taken at face value, you know, it's suggesting that men and women are at least different Mm. and can kind of have a complementary place in one another's lives. Well, that seemed to make sense to me, too. And so I thought, why do we have to have the, these words describing these positions? You know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, and listeners, I don't if you go back to our very first uh, episode, Blake Dean and I can give you our, our full range of opinions on exactly this, because we're very much in line with what uh, John's hinting at here with, these, with the problematic issues of these words. So please, yes. John, continue. Thank you. And I recognize that my own way of processing this will be different than other people's. And mm-hmm. I'm sure someone will be able to find fault quite easily. Um, but I always wanted to say, well, at the end of the day, I want to trust God's word, 
trust the scriptures no matter what. They're fully and finally authoritative. And, um, and of course, along the way, you, as a, someone who was in the complementarian camp, you got the impression from some that anyone who advocated for a different position was only from this extreme liberal position who mm. wanted to undermine the authority of the scriptures, who wanted to make arguments based on the date, you know, like it's 2020, you know, we shouldn't be having this, you know, and I regard that as a kind of a ridiculous argument, you know, because mm. every age is stupid and wise in different ways, right? So <clears throat> um, that doesn't help anything. It doesn't prove anything, right? Right. It wasn't <clears throat> until it was kind of slowly and, very subtly, I began to just see that, or at least hear, other interpretations of the key text that tend to um, create the uh, complementarian position <laughs> in such a way that women's roles are limited um, and are barred from ordained roles, mm -hmm. like especially elder roles, priest, uh, elder, <clears throat> presbyter, those kinds of things. And um, it started with people who are theologically conservative, like listening to their arguments. People who are creedally orthodox, you know, going to affirm historic stream of Christianity. Right. And so <clears throat> anyone who knows me will know that Tom Wright has had a big influence in my life. That's N.T. Wright. And um, when I eventually I, I got into a Ph.D. program, and I was doing a Ph.D. program through Stellenbosch University in South Africa, and that's a very interesting context. We could have a whole mm. episode about <clears throat> uh, the way they do reform theology there, post-apartheid, yeah. um, <clears throat> in that kind of society, which is very interested in now naming the equality of all people in a, a extraordinary way. Mm. You know, I mean, the Dutch Reformed Church, the Uniting Reformed Church, those churches in South Africa have even declared like things like apartheid or heresies, theological heresies. They wow. formulated that in um, the Belhar Confession, which some churches in the U.S. have also adopted. Very interesting, worth looking into. But anyway, during my Ph.D. research, I was studying Tom Wright for one of the chapters on, on a different subject. But he had, over time, had won the right to be heard and yeah. trusted. I mean, this is after reading countless books and essays, papers, listening to hours and hours and hours of... Uh, talks on him mm. by him I <clears throat> uh, saw he had written some things um, on the, the passages in first Timothy I think these were published with the uh, what was that council for biblical I mean no no the um, equality CBE oh, is that the, the Christians for biblical Christians equality. for yeah yeah that's right I first encountered that group at ETS that's the Evangelical Theological Society yeah. back yeah. in 2010 and <clears throat> thought wow this is great they're doing some really important stuff this is impressive especially um, we can talk about this later sometimes you know the gender issues get conflated with sexuality and marriage issues right, and right. I appreciated that they were keeping them separate mm -hmm. that seemed really important for me to be able to even consider or think about uh, um, gender issues. Okay. So, um, and then I at least saw, well, it's not a matter of the authority of Scripture. It's about the interpretation of Scripture and interpreting things well, understanding things in historical context, understanding what the text is actually saying right. rather than what it, assuming what it might be saying uh, at first blush or something. <clears throat> um, that seemed important. Yeah. And I was doing a whole PhD project on how the Bible 
should continue to critique and correct tradition. Mm. And what tradition is really, really important. Um, even for Protestants, it's really, really important. But the Protestant impulse is to let Scripture continue to shape and correct uh, our theological traditions right. in such a way that they don't become calcified uh, or so um, strict that you don't have to think anymore. You know, it's like, now this confession tells us how to read Scripture. We need nothing else. We don't mm -hmm. need to think about this stuff anymore. We've said everything that needs to be said. And um, so when I encounter Tom Wright saying those things, I was like, and he affirms a kind of a full share between men and women in ministry, side by side, in part based on the creation narrative, Jesus' work of new creation, that men and women can serve side by side in ordained roles mm. in the church equally. It's not about their gender. That's not what makes them qualified or not qualified. It's other factors that make people qualified right. or unqualified. <clears throat> you know, their commitment to Jesus, maturity, holiness, discipleship, and sense of call, you know, all that together. Mm -hmm. He was just the first. Then it began to be several others that mm -hmm. I encountered. And now there's a whole lot of people that, I, I mean, I think Lucy Pepiot at Westminster Theological Center mm -hmm. has written some really important texts, especially on the Corinthian correspondence. The Corinthian passages can trip up a lot of people. Right, right. And um, looking real quick, she's written a book called Rediscovering Scripture's Vision for Women, uh, Fresh Perspectives on uh, Disputed Text. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put all these in the show notes for you guys. Another one is um, Women and Worship at Corinth, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in 1 Corinthians, and unveiling Paul's women, making sense of 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. Mm. Where should I go next? Uh, I should go next to, I had a slow transition for various reasons into the Anglican tradition. Mm -hmm. This started around 2011. And I should comment, I still love and appreciate many things that are offered by the Southern Baptist and by the Presbyterian Church in America. Yeah. Listeners, and... if you're tracking, we've gone through Southern Baptist, <laughs> kind of the Reformed kind of overlap, and then Presbyterianism, and now we're, we're touching yes, on Yes, 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 Anglican, which I had been drawn to in part because of the liturgy and because mm -hmm. of the ecclesial structure um, that I was drawn to having bishops, mm -hmm. um, among other things. And a, a little bit more breadth in the theological orthodoxy um, than I, I experienced previously. And um, so I, I made that transition 2011, 2012. And so I've been an Anglican priest with the ACNA since 2012. And um, <clears throat> there, of course, you know, there's a little bit, there's diversity of practice within the church. Right. Um, uh, every diocese, I believe, or most dioceses ordain women to the role of deacon, which is a clergy office in the Anglican Church. Um, some dioceses ordain women to the office of priest. Uh, it's left up to the bishop, mm -hmm. uh, and currently all the bishop's role is reserved for men. Right. At least in the ACNA, that's not mm -hmm. true of the Anglican Communion worldwide, but <clears throat> um, it is in the ACNA. Um, I was, you know, certainly perfectly happy to begin to move in um, those waters and to appreciate and affirm uh, that take and have, um, you know, come to a place of kind of a, a full, if I could combine the complementarian egalitarian affirmation, but an affirmation of women in ministry and ordained ministry roles 
as pastors, priests, elders, deacons. And I can appreciate that and affirm that. Um, and that hasn't been like overnight, you know, like that, that, would, that journey was maybe 10 years in the making or more, you know, kind of slowly along the way, certainly had non-negotiables, not negotiating on trusting the word of God, right. trusting scripture. It's been more about, you know, there's like legitimate arguments being made here for how this text might have been misunderstood in right. the past. And there may be another way of making sense of it. And we need to make sense of the whole of the text together. So, you know, there's times where if you force Paul to be saying no to women here, mm. you have to cancel out the part where he seems to say yes to women there. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and then there's, there's translation issues where gune, of course, can be women or wives. And then are these things being applied to the household, the marriage relationship to men and women in general? And, um, we're also dealing with the first century context in the world where the apostles are concerned that believers' lives adorn the gospel in such a way that it doesn't bring it into disrepute because of immorality or uh, seeming inappropriateness, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, contextual matters. We maybe can say more about that. But I guess that's all it in a nutshell that was too big of a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and this is gender theology has such a wide scope, of course, but but I really appreciate that. And there's, there's so much in there, John. I, I, I know we'll only be able to get to, to some of this, but I do... Um, want to highlight a couple of things and, and also talk a little bit about the job at current. So, um, for, for our listeners, I, up to this point, I, I haven't given you much of my own story in terms of my journey through this, but, um, John is a big part of that because when I came onto the job at Barry, this will be, it'll be eight years in April, John. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. Right. Um, so it was it was uh, eight years ago, April first, that I came to Berry College, and at the time, not only so I was finishing my master's degree, and I was not ordained. I would, came on in this director's role uh, for student ministries, um, and and it was it was really a huge step for me because I took so much time um, throughout my life trying to figure out how I felt about some of these issues specifically related to gender and women's roles in ministry positions. And, um, so when I came into this, like one of the first questions, uh, you, you ever talked to me about was, so have you considered ordination? And I was at the time I was scared to death by that question. I was like, Oh gosh, no, 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 no. You do not (laughs) want, you do not want me in this. And, um, and so through our conversations over the years has had a huge influence on my trajectory and discerning a calling into ordained uh, ministry, and then as the assistant chaplain, so John is my boss, and we work together as two people in a two-person department. We have students that, that work under us, Blake Dean being one of them, um, but it's it's been such an experience for me and has really not just enriched my own personal journey, but how I witness this theology living out every single day, because it certainly didn't have to be a female that ended up in my role. I mean, certainly the job search was, was wide and, and looked at a lot of different candidates. But um, as we work, we talk a lot about um, the dynamics that we experience as both being a, a male and female working in a ministerial role for a college campus and just living out that side-by-sideness in addition to also being married people. So, so I'm married to Mike, you're married to Lisa. We all have this, um, this, uh, friendship and, um, dynamic that we've put in place as part of being able to respect 
the boundaries and limitations of being in these roles while also saying if, if God put us side by side in our marriages and vocationally, this is how we live it out, especially for an example for our students. So John, I'd love to hear just some of your thoughts in that range about living this out and how we do this in the job. You know, when we were looking to hire this position um, as an assistant chaplain, it it had a range of possibilities for it. You know, the person could be just sort of a coordinator who is kind of like an administrative assistant who also kind of helps with some logistics on the right. one hand, all the way to an assistant chaplain, which I had been for a year when I first came to Barry under Del McConkie. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there were certain things that needed to be in place to determine the range. One was the sense of the call the person had, who we were bringing in, where they were in their theological education, all of that. And so I remember we brought you in as a, a coordinator, the, um, right? And that the title was like uh, student uh, ministry coordinator? The or, director of student ministry. Yeah, director of student mm-hmm. ministries. Okay, that's right. And all those have technical meaning, coordinator, director, you know, all that stuff, you know, at school. The nuances. And, um, but you were finishing seminary. It's a clear, a clear sense of calling to ministry and obvious gifts, um, which is why we, you know, uh, picked you out of the, out of the crowd of, I can't remember how many applications we had, 150 or something. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and then there were other people, you know, who were finished with seminary, who had served churches, et cetera, et cetera. But there were various reasons why I pulled you in. So to me, it was like, I'm not going to hold someone back from the calling that they have. Plus, the whole reason we're bringing in an assistant, and really, honestly, the value of having a, a female in that role is that over half the student body of Barry was female. So it makes sense that our office and being able to minister to the needs of all students would be able to also to have a male and a female voice in our office that yeah. students could reach out to and have some choice in the matter because the truth of the matter is no matter what a person thinks about sex and gender some people would just more naturally feel comfortable talking to a man or to a woman right you know so <clears throat> we can do more that way we can have a broader reach and for me personally um I mean, I affirm this equality and distinction. You know, mm-hmm. I can make an equality and distinction between um, male and female. So uh, I feel like that's important, that just as there's a complementary nature to uh, marriage, there can be a complementary nature to effective ministry, where men and women have to work side by side, it seems to me. It seems that in the Garden of Eden, men and women are side by side. Right. Not good for the man to be alone. Um, uh, the female is made as this in the story as the, 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 the perfect, the right counterpart, the right, uh, partner in this mm-hmm. task of being God's image and caring for the earth, doing the things God wants done on earth, you know, <clears throat> so it makes sense to me that in ministry, just as in the household, um, men and women working together, we're going to do this more effectively. Um, and so that seems to have been the case for us, um, you know, now working, I guess, almost eight years yeah. uh, together. It seems to me to have been a, a good decision that our reach has been broader and deeper. And, um, you know, we also minister to students who come from diverse backgrounds and among the Christian students who come from a diverse denominational background. Right. 
I always felt that it was important to be able to encourage people in following Jesus, trusting his word, and seeking their vocation, uh, their calling, wherever it might be. And I'm not going to encourage people to do things that I think is unbiblical. But if I have female students saying they feel sense a call to ministry, I want to encourage them to keep seeking the Lord, to take counsel with their church community, Mm -hmm. and then to encourage them to understand the church context in which they live, which are going to be different, you know, and to fulfill their sense of call within that denominational structure, you know, as best as they can. Um, Instead of just, in sort of, instead of kind of legislating, no, well, you should do this. Of course, I mean, I wouldn't discourage a female student from considering seminary or the call to pastoral ministry mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but in our diverse context, it makes much more sense for us to be able to encourage people to explore a full range of options. Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for, for listeners, uh, one of, one of the things that I'm most proud of in, in just being able to work here and, and the kind of, um, scenario that you've really set up and, and given leadership to is that we do have students from different backgrounds, which means the conversations are varied and open. Um, our students get to explore these topics regardless of where they're coming from. Um, we, we, are able to present uh, just sort of an open forum for um, mm-hmm. their theological journey, which oftentimes includes understanding these roles and understanding themselves um, and their brothers and sisters in that context, while we get to also model that for them in the work. Um, because it, there's the male and female distinctives, which are which are so important, but also, as John mentioned, he's a priest in the ACNA. I am a deacon in the ACNA, and those also have their distinctions, which mm-hmm. that was... a it was kind of a coincidence that that sort of ended up being yeah. the case. Yeah, yeah. We didn't plan it that way. And Barry's not an Anglican school, but, um, but also those distinctions in different varieties of callings and ministry, um, and how that's lived out. So, so understand this, this is a really nice balance. I think of, of equality and, and mm-hmm. distinction and being able to affirm diversity within roles without having to bring in inferiority, um, as which has unfortunately been a, Female inferiority has been one of those sort of um, widely accepted subtexts in church Mm -hmm. history to this conversation and being able to just sort of quietly but intentionally live that out in the place where we work together, um, to me is something I wish, I wish we could bring people in to, to see that. Um, because like, I know recently in a lot of, um, articles, there's been a lot of discussion about like the Billy Graham rule and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And for, for those discussions, I want to say, you know, just, we couldn't do the Billy Graham rule and do our jobs. That would mm-hmm. be impossible, but that doesn't mean we don't yeah, are yeah. very serious about boundaries. And yeah, so there's a, right. there's that middle way of saying, Hey, yeah these genders can work side by side. We have to be very serious about how we understand those distinctions and, and yep. the classic pitfalls that we've seen people fall into mm-hmm. that we are, you know, God willing, so um, graced to avoid. But, uh, mm-hmm. but then for our students, be able to demonstrate this just sort of quietly yeah. living out who we are. Um, so yeah. I, w- I wish there was a way we could kind of demonstrate that, but I love that we get to kind of articulate that here. Yeah. It reminds me of the just the importance of wisdom in every avenue of life. You know, one shouldn't walk foolishly just because something in culture becomes a kind of meme. Right. You know, like yeah. the 
Billy Graham rule became a kind of meme, yeah. you know, for a, a minute there. And it's like, it doesn't mean that you know, this could, this could be an inappropriate or unhelpful thing to apply just sort of flatly or absolutely or whatever. Right. But it doesn't mean there's not wisdom in principle, mm-hmm. you know, there that <laughs> could be accommodated or, you know, made use of in a different way. Right. And uh, God calls us to godly wisdom in every aspect of life and to holiness. And so I want to emphasize that. Uh, one thing about the you being a deacon and me being a priest, you know, those are both the result of vocational journeys. And in some ways it could have ended up the other way. You know, right. I mean, Barry has its structures and in the structure, there's a chaplain, there's an assistant chaplain, you know, and so we ha- we happen to be in those roles, you know, that didn't determine ahead of time that your vocation to be a deacon rather than a priest. Right, right. <clears throat> I mean, there's other reasons that led to that, you know. Yes, yes. Theoretically, in your role, someone could have been hired, let's say, who was a Baptist or Methodist mm-hmm. ordained minister, yes. you know, who shared the same level of ordination within their denomination that I have within mine, you know, the same right. kind of denomination. Um, of course, we understand the diaconate as a, a different sort of, a distinct calling, mm-hmm. even though in our tradition, all priests are, or are ordained as deacons first right. and remain forever a deacon. The priesthood is just a different, but parallel, um, ministry. And it's not like, uh, you know, one's varsity and one's junior varsity, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> exactly. varsity minister and junior varsity minister. Um, <clears throat> so that's not the case. And to me, I, I'm, I think it's important that your role is an ordained clergy. So in our church system, the deacon is considered ordained clergy. They are, they get the uh, the, the reverend put before their mm-hmm. name, and um, I think that's important for our students who come to us for pastoral care and counseling that they right. see you as a you know as a legit, <laughs> right. so to speak, quote unquote, yeah. minister, someone who's been endorsed, like sanctioned by a church right. body. Like some church body has said, we see the gifts of God in you, we affirm you and call you, lay hands on you, pray for the Spirit to come upon you to fulfill this ministry. It's like that's been done for you in this clergy role of deacon that you're in. Mm-hmm. And so when students come to you, they don't feel like they're getting, you know, like this is sort of second best help. You know, right, right. <laughs> um, oftentimes, perhaps more often than not, they're getting first best help in terms of our <laughs> office. Uh, so I, I, it's no problem being able to affirm and yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it's it's such a it's such a treat for me and such a um, I, I'm trying to think of how to just put this eloquently, but um, something that I wish uh, I could I could talk about with more people with more fluidity to be able to to say no no this really does work like mm-hmm. when God calls us into these spaces to work together our genders don't have to become everything mm-hmm. most days we work day in day out without ever in in any way acknowledging significantly in any way our our gender differences it it really is just we're here to do the work our students have needs we try to give them our best um based on what the resources we have and we do that together and Mm -hmm. that's really all it comes down to and and i think that's for me the beauty of gender theology is that my hope is that one day it becomes so insignificant. We're just not talking about it anymore. We yeah. are so focused on the work of Christ and the, in the call yeah. of Christ that, um, that it, it isn't even a thing anymore. And that's, that's what I've been able to enjoy in this job. Yeah. And 
interesting thing comes to my mind as you're saying this. Yeah. Um, when I say that I affirm gender distinctives as well as equality, I don't mean by gender distinctives uh, gender stereotypes. Yes. Like I do understand yes. there are those, and sometimes they're inappropriate. And we should probably broaden what we mean by male and female in terms of roles and um, character traits, you know, and expression and all that stuff. Because in some ways, like in our ministry partnership, there's probably times where. I'm exhibiting a quality that might be seen as more feminine. You might be exhibiting a quality <laughs> that would be seen as more masculine. Right. Um, <clears throat> that's seen even in like in my marriage. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lisa and I, you know, I don't put a whole lot of stock in these uh, spiritual gift inventories, you know, because it's like the church got along well without these for a long time, but yeah. they can at least get a conversation going, get your prayer directions in, in order. Yeah. But I can remember Lisa and I taking this, doing one, 15 or more years ago and uh her one of her high giftings being pastor mm. you know wow. <laughs> i think we were in a position where i was a pastor you know um and i think our oldest was little and she was um homemaking with her <clears throat> um, at home and at first i wasn't i don't know if i was sure what to think about that <laughs> um i'm like wait a second um what a what am I doing then? You know, <laughs> and over time I've seen how that is true. Like, it seems to me that my wife has more pastoral gifts mm. by the spirit than I do. Wow. Um, and I'm more, much more of a teacher. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I listen to you, I pray for you and I kind of want to teach you something, you know, <laughs> Lisa's the one who will bear with you, bear the burden stick with you, walk beside you forever till the end. Um, uh, and has like the, her ability to patiently endure is kind of, uh, supernatural <clears throat> to me, but that's an example of, you know, okay, I'm technically called to a pastoral ministry. My wife seems to have more pastoral gifts yes. than me, you know? <clears throat> um, and I'm not going to say, well, well, you can't do that stuff, baby. You know, I, I, I need to do that stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. If the Spirit's given her the gifts of these things, she should do these things, you know? Yeah. Um, and I will pray for the Spirit to help me be pastoral when I need to be pastoral. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know? It's so true, y'all. If you ever get a chance to come to Berry College, there's a lot of great people you should meet, but Lisa Huggins is definitely one of them. She's a rock star. Um, but yeah, the, I appreciate you saying that, John, because there is that difference between distinctions and, and stereotypes. I feel that it's it's such a privilege to be able to offer to our students um, counsel when they come to us with problems that deeply affect who they are as either mm -hmm. male or female. When there's shame or, or yeah. difficulty related specifically to that gender, it's a real blessing to be able to try to provide quality pastoral care to both of them wherever they are. Um, and, uh, and that works out, that works out really well. Um, gosh, there's so, there's so much, there's so much I want to circle back to and touch on, but we, we, we've run out of time. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll have to have you back. We'll have to have you back, John, okay. because, um, a, we, we didn't get to everything and B, uh, I know Blake Dean will be sad that he didn't get a chance to weigh oh, in. Yes. Um, so, so we'll have to, we'll have to swing back around again, um, on the podcast, but just to close out, you are our first guest ever, but I always like to kind of keep things consistent. So this will be, this will be a new one. Um, can you, for our listeners, uh, give a recommend someone who was a significant theological influence to you? You could either recommend the person or, or a very specific resource, but who who is someone who's influenced you that you would definitely recommend and why? 
Um, you asking just anyone yeah, in particular? Just anyone okay. for you. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to ask who's been a significant female, you know, to, oh, to, no, minister, yeah, to just anybody. Um, because well, I've already mentioned Tom Wright mm-hmm. uh, yeah. is massively important. Um, people like, let's say, Stanley Howard Wass in his mm-hmm. own way, you know, been privileged to be able to have him here, meet him, yeah, have conversations yeah. with him. Um, <clears throat> James K.A. Smith, people who are living. Um, theological trajectory. I've also been shaped a lot by, and more and more, by Augustine um, at different stages of life, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, two women who are philosophers who I've been interested in and appreciating a lot lately. One is Rebecca the Young and her mm-hmm. work, Glittering Vices. And I think she's just brilliant. And that book is brilliant. And when she came to Barry and spoke <clears throat> and uh, had left a lasting impact of yeah. her talk, uh, Jennifer Frey's work um, on a whole uh, uh, broad range of subjects. She's getting asked to speak everywhere, it seems, these mm-hmm. days. And she yeah. came, she's at University of South Carolina. Um, and then um, <clears throat> uh, God and the Art of Happiness, um, uh, Ellen Cherry. Mm, Um, It looks like Ellen Chari. She wrote a book on doctrine and pastoral perspective. I forget the specific name of it. And God and the Art of Happiness. She was a theologian at Princeton for a long time. uh, Like brilliant in making all Mm. the right connections. That Mm. book was probably one of the most influential books I've read in the last uh, two or three years. Her one on the the pastoral function of Christian doctrine. Because Mm. she's not only thinking theologically at a deep level in conversation with uh, the great Christian theological tradition, was making the right sort of applications by helping people see that Christian doctrine is meant to shape the life of a believer for flourishing, for happiness in God. Um, so I re- definitely recommend her, Ellen Cherry. Wonderful. Well, John, you've given us so many good things. Not only think about, but like, I think our show notes are going to be packed with all of these books and recommendations. Um, Yeah, guys, John Huggins is so well read and you should be too. This, this is going to be, Hey, we have quarantine time. So just get your book list ready. Um, so, So thank you, John, very much for coming on the podcast today. It was great to have you on Mutuality Matters, a special treat for me because you've contributed so much to my own understanding of this very concept. Um, and we want to thank all of you, our listeners for joining us today. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. We appreciate you connecting us to other listeners. And of course, we always love your feedback. So I am the Reverend Deacon Aaron Moniz and um, just giving a nod to our absent co-host, Blake Dean, and of course, our fabulous producer, Bailey Dingley. And we are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening.